Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Last year, our conference ended with some Bible teaching from Samuel and a prophetic word from David Noah. Now, I don't usually go around predicting things or prophesying things. I don't do that. I don't like people who go around giving people words all the time. I very rarely get words. But if I do get words, I really want to make sure I know it's from God. We did get quite a bit of mail last year. After the last session, I basically said that the two people most responsible for what has happened with, you know, the... I don't even want to say the word, it's a certain place in Canada. <laughs> but God was angry at what had happened with the Kansas City and Toronto thing. Kansas City and Toronto. And the two people most responsible were going to be dead because I was going to kill them. I said that on the tape, the tape around the country. People were very upset. Two days later, I was in Anaheim. And John Wimper didn't die of his heart condition, nor did he die of his throat cancer. I have a sudden hemorrhage that came as a result of a big accident. But then, the General Superintendent of the Assembly of God, at the age of 53, at the age of 52, just suddenly died. In two weeks, these guys were dead. The one of one of the Kansas City prophets and the one who basically took Boy Magazine and brought the whole Toronto thing to the UK Senate Court was and the whole thing that happened happened on the World Champions Leadership. Now, look. People, a lot of people have written up, and this is the only reason I'm pointing it out and said things. I'm not saying that that makes me a true prophet. I don't seem to be a prophet at all. But if it didn't happen, it would have made me a false one. You shouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If it didn't happen, you shouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a false one. And you did I also believe what I said last year that there was going to be a number of political changes that would take place in Britain, that take place globally in the next 12 to 18 months, that were going to change the direction the world was going, and was going to change the way Britain was going. Um, I was in Singapore last summer. It was the first time I'd been there in about two years because of my neck accident. And the economy in Asia was always booming. It was building like there was no tomorrow, now there is no tomorrow. Singapore is like one of the better economies in Asia. Malaysia, Indonesia, they just totally gone down the tube. This is supposed to be the future economic growth area of the whole world. The panel's going to be in other America and all this kind of stuff. This stuff got very, very bad towards the end of last year, as you, as you might remember. Uh, we haven't felt the ramifications of it yet, but when you travel around the world, you see how it's affecting Australia and New Zealand. Uh, to a degree, it's already affecting Britain and America. That's only the beginning. The founder of international banking was Meyer Hampshire Rothschild. He wanted to stop anti-Semitism and problems in Europe. And he said, the only way we Jews, he said, can stop this is with political influence, but we'll never get that. So the only thing we can do to get political influence is to get economic influence. If we control the nation's money supplies, and I care not who writes this laws, he was legitimately trying to stop anti-Semitism. Now, the international bankers, contrary to anti-Semitic myths, are not for gang of Jews leaving the back room. 
There are international bankers who are Jewish, but I assure you the Rockefellers are not Jewish, the Morgans and all these other bankers are not Jewish. I'm not even saying it's just banks. What I am saying is, when I was in Dublin about two months ago, before I went to Africa, all over every post, post office, every public building, there's a post there. How are they going to get rid of their currency? And introduce the world. This is the plan. Every country in the continent is the same thing. British government has already introduced an American Federal Reserve System, where they took the control of the money supply and interest rates out of the hands of government and the electorate, so therefore there's no more accountability for you. And maybe Bank of England, an independent agency, that is no longer controlled by, no longer the Lord Chancellor of the interest rates. Now, people sit by and don't notice what this means. For me, it's very important to keep my political views separate from my Christian views. It's very important. But I also know what the Bible says will happen in the last days. You're seeing this whole drive towards the Euro. Two days ago, looking at the news, and it was Harry Ashdown speaking how he and Labour have made this new agreement, how they were going to cooperate on all these things, despite ideological differences. And he said, this is the way the future politics of Europe is going to be done when we have proportional representation. I lived in Israel for years, and I saw how proportional representation works. Little parties with two seats in the government, two, two, two seats in the parliament, get, dis get a disproportional amount of power and leverage, because you need every little party to make a coalition. You look at Germany, they have a green foreign minister. Oh, <laughs> so he says, this is the way the future politics will be done. In other words, instead of you having an MP who's accountable to you, politicians draw up lists, and it goes by percentage. And then all these little parties, their leaders, make political deals in the back room, I'll give you this, you give me that. It will no longer be possible for a government to come to power with a, with a mandate from the public, with an agenda, to make, to make, to pursue a program. It will all be done by the way it's done now in Israel. Italy is another example. They've had like 40 governments at the end of World War II. Uh, craziness. Now, I'm not trying to be political. What I am saying is, what you see happening, I have no doubt whatsoever that you're going into a Europe. That will not simply be the end of sovereignty, but it will be the end of democracy. It's going to become an offshore colony of Germany. The Bundesbank Bank will basically control the European money system. The country will be governed through Brussels. Now that's not political. Look at Daniel. Those countries that were in the Roman Empire are reconfederated. And it will eventually turn against believers. Two years ago, we did our conference subject was preparing for persecution. Not long afterwards, you had the first arrest of street preachers in this country. And now, they're restricting the gypsy rallies and things like this. It begins small. But more crucially, if you listen to the tapes, what we warned about was it'll go back to the way it was in pagan Rome, where homosexuality and bisexuality were socially normative. And if you begin saying that this is not morally acceptable, you become a bigot. It becomes the equivalent of making a racist statement, calling someone a kike or a nigger or a khaki or something like this. This is saying that being an Asian or a Jew or a black is, it makes you the equivalent of a homosexual. 
That's what they're basically saying. I personally, because my family is Jews, I find that it is both mm-hmm. my family. I think anybody who's a member of the minority can find that it's both. But I warned that that's the way it would come to. Now you have, what, four cabinet ministers in the present government, four mm-hmm. homosexuals? Mm-hmm. It's coming. Mm-hmm. This stuff mm-hmm. is coming. Last year, we, our conference was New Beginning. And we basically said, look, we've gone through the whole thing with the Kansas City and the Toronto and they've had their warning. The ecumenism, they've had their warning. If anybody cannot see through this stuff, they're choosing deception. It's no point in going on refuting the error anymore. That's been done. Now it's time for the people who want to get ready for Jesus to come back to begin over. This year, we're continuing with that, preparing for the last days, and we want to look at the subject, most centrally, of the rapture. The subject of the rapture. Before we pray and look at the Olivet Discourse tonight, I have to ask a few questions, because what I do not want to do is go over things that people already know. I want to build on things we've already had in the past. Most of you people, I know, and I know that you've heard things like the Judaism of the Church, you've heard the Antichrist theories, you've heard true and false prophets. I don't <laughs> want to go back over that stuff. So we have to touch on, touch on it, but then move on. Don't want to cover old turf. But I have to ask a few questions. How many people here have heard the tape or the teaching types of the rapture? How many have heard it? Did in South Africa and I think you did it once in Britain. How many types of the rapture? Things in the Bible three figures of rapture. Okay. How many have heard the tape just as in the days of Noah or have heard it heard it? Just as in the days of Noah. Okay, so we won't have to go into that. Types of the rapture can have four rapture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter twenty four, please, the Olive of Discourse. Matthew twenty four. Heavenly Father, we ask you to meet with us now in the power and presence of your Spirit, opening our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to your word and its meaning. Lord, as Andrew said, let it not just increase our knowledge, but change our lives. Make us more like your Son, more ready to meet him when he comes. Lord, we're astounded, we're bewildered at the things that are overtaking not just the world, but your church. And the pace at which it's happening. Things that even five, ten years ago we couldn't have believed. People we never would have believed. And now we see how true and how real your word is. And how perilous these times that are coming are. But we thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who does intervene on behalf of those who seek your faith. And you bring us together to prepare us the greatest event in human history. The return of your son. Lord God. Use the things we learn here to help us be prepared to meet him when he comes. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Let's understand something. We've talked many times about the Olivet Discourse. And there are certain things we have to realize concerning it. One, it has a specific meaning. To the Jewish believers, 
in Jerusalem at 70 A.D. Before we could know what it means for us, we have to understand what it meant for them. Now we have tapes, the future history of the church, we explain how the Jews viewed prophecy as a pattern. The differences between preterism, historicism, polemicism, and futurism, and how for the Jews, they didn't make that kind of distinction. The second, it's a warning not to the unsaved, but to believers. John's gospel is the gospel most oriented towards non-believers, most evangelistic. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are oriented towards believers. That's why you don't see the Oliver Discourse in John. Understand? The last thing it says in John is these things are written so that you may believe. And it's evangelistic and it's, and it's particularly evangelistic concerning Jews of the first century. In its own context, its own system, name, and etc. You don't find this kind of eschatological material in John. John is more oriented towards the unbelievers. That's not to say that what's in it is not also for Christians. It's just to say it has an evangelistic orientation for the unsaved. Well, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are oriented towards those who already believe. So what's in it is for the Christians. It is not primarily for the world. It's for people who are saved. Third. I don't want to go into this. We've talked about it a thousand times. Jesus warned about wars one time. Rumors of wars one time. Famines one time. Earthquakes one time. Pestilence one time. Jerusalem and the Jews, Luke 21, 24, one time. Deception four times. Deception is the clearest sign of the last days. I don't want to go into this. If I ask him, what will be the sign of your coming? Verse 4, the first words out of his mouth. See to it that no one leads you astray. The deceivers, the false prophets, the false Christ, the false teachers, does not primarily mean the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Hare Krishnas. It means those in the church. Internal seduction. If possible, the elect will be deceived. Somebody said, well, it's not possible. If it wasn't possible, why did he warn about it four times more than he did anything else? And there's plenty of other scriptures that make it clear it can happen. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Psalms 119, verse 160. What does it say? The sum of thy word is truth. Not just thy word is truth, the sum of thy word is truth. We look at a text in its context, but also in light of its co-text. What other passages speak of the same thing? And when you look at what other passages speak of deception, you see very clearly the elect can be. We have to understand it has some specific meaning for 70 A.D. We have to understand it's two Christians. And we have to understand its theme of 
spiritual seduction is primarily internal. But let's look at the first deception as we look at the rapture this weekend. How many people here have been saved more than 20 years? When you were first saved, wasn't there a lot more interest in the return of Jesus than there is now? What were people reading the late great planet Earth? What were they talking about the signs of the end more 20 years ago than they are now? Much more. Much more. Look at Luke. Luke's version is Luke 21. Verse 36. Keep on the alert, praying that at all times, in order that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Be on the alert. <laughs> Twenty years ago, people were a lot more alert than they are now, yet we're a lot closer to the return of the Son of Man now than we were 20 years ago. The first deception, the declining interest in eschatology, the decline of interest in the return of Jesus Christ is a deception in itself. Second deception. Twenty years ago, the argument among Christians was, do you believe in a pre-trib rapture? a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. Today, what is the argument? Do you believe in a rapture? Mike Fickle, Kansas City prophet, he teaches that the rapture of Elijah was a judgment on Elijah. And the people from all these churches, Holy Trinity, Brompton, I've got the videos, took it all in. You understand what that means? When a rapture does happen, they're going to think it was a judgment. The Christians with a negative spirit have been removed. <laughs> Initially. You've heard me point out, General Coates says the rapture is a fantasy and a myth. And most seriously, Rick Joyner says it is of the devil. One year ago, the dispute among faith Christians, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Look at this tomorrow. Now it's, do you believe in the trip? You understand the nature of the deception. Be alert. The closer we're getting to this thing, the less people are interested in it. They're getting into dissipation. With this in view, let us look at the caveats, the warnings, the things to be aware of. The caveats of the Olivet Discourse. The Mount of Olives, of course. It's Mark 13, it's Matthew 24 and 25, the most comprehensive. Luke breaks it up. There are elements found in Matthew 24 
and in Mark 13, in Luke 17, elements in Luke 21, and elements in Luke 11. Luke breaks it up. Again, Luke is writing to Gentiles. The caveat of the Olivet Discourse. The warnings. First warning. Matthew 24, verse 5. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am not Christ, and will mislead many. False Christ. The only thing a false Christ has to mean in Greek is someone, of course, as you've heard me say, someone with a false anointing. However, here is with the definite article, I am the Christ. Now, the New Ages talk about the cosmic Christ, the Christ within you, in some cosmic sense. They, they have that other, the, the Benjamin Queen, David Spangler, had that Christ. But this is talking about Christians. Look at Luke. 21. Verse 8. See to it that you be not misled. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. In this country, on a video I have on front of thousands of people, thousands of charismatics and Pentecostals, and it was accepted. Morris Cervillo said, you're not looking at Morris Cervillo, you're looking at Jesus Christ. He actually said that. The adulation they give to the coat waivers. Look how they cheer for these guys. If that were unsaved people cheering a pop star or a sports celebrity, it would be one thing. But what is it? Someone with a false anointing. False Christ. Second caveat. This is a big deal. Hope I can spell it. How do you spell rambunction with a seal with a K? Hmm? BK? I can speak a few languages, but I can't spell any of them. <laughs> rambunction. Look at verses. 6 to 8 of Matthew 24. This is something to beware of. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. Those things must take place. But that's not the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth times. 
Again, birth pain. Think in terms of obstetrics. Does the first contractions mean the baby's on its way out through the canal? No. The beginning. Rambunction. Oh, look, they're going to sign another peace treaty in the Middle East. Jesus will be here Tuesday. <laughs> you know, I hope Saddam Hussein really does go crazy. Then there'll be Armageddon and Jesus will come back. What about YK2000? This will be pure anarchy and chaos, and the Lord will come. These things are the beginning of birth. They tell you two things. Think of obstetrics. The baby's coming. It's coming soon. But it's not coming five minutes from now. There's a certain personality type, even in the secular world, that has gotten to the church. The conspiracy theorist. There's a certain kind of person predisposed to it. There are secular people obsessed about the new world order. There are two dangers. One danger is to ignore the way the world is evolving politically and economically. That is a danger. To fail to look at world events in light of biblical prophecy is a mistake, a serious one. But there are people who are more worried about the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, Tony Blair and the Freemason. They're going to bring in the Antichrist, a group of bankers in London and New York, and of Ulster. There's Christians who become obsessed with this stuff. Obsessed to the point they begin emphasizing things that Jesus didn't tell us to emphasize. Evangelism goes on the back burner. Other tenets of the Christian faith, other aspects of the Christian walk are relegated to some inferior position. This is rambunction. Christians have a sheep nature. They're either hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd or they get nervous. Look how nervous and excitable and timid sheep are. Well, that's the way Christians are. Every little thing sends the sheep into a panic, doesn't it? But the end is not yet. Yes, there have been more earthquakes higher on the Richter scale in this century than any other century. That is true. Despite butter mountains and wine lakes in Europe and not enough silos to store grain in America, high nitrate fertilizers, despite all that, more people starve to death in the world now than ever before. That is true. I saw a film, and I go to Africa a lot, a film, this is a true story. In Somalia, a marketplace, the people in the rural areas were literally starving to death, especially the children. In the market, there was no food. You couldn't buy any food. No food to be found. But you could buy a rocket propelled grenade for five dollars. That's true. Nation will rise against nation. That is not talking about country against country. Country against country is kingdom against kingdom. The underlying Hebrew thought would be mahut, neged mahut. Nation against nation is ethnon against ethnon. 
racial conflict. You see it in Yugoslavia. You see it in Rwanda. It's not just talking about color. It's about ethnic cleansing. White killing white, black killing black, doesn't matter. Anybody who's not what we are, that stuff is going to get worse. Now you have two tendencies. You will have two tendencies in the world. To solve this problem of ethnon against ethnon, you're going to find the Tower of Babel solution. All religions are co-equally valid. The Brotherhood of Man, all that Tower of Babel stuff. That is man's false formula for social harmony. Some kind of religious unity. How can we stop the Greek Orthodox and the, and, and the Serbs? And, and how can we stop the Roman Catholics who are Croats and the Muslims from killing each other? Simple. Ecumenism and interfaith. You understand? That would be man's solution. Babylon. God's solution is co-equality in Christ. It's neither Jew, Gentile, black, white, etc. Two kinds of people, those who are saved and those who need to be. Many races and ethnic groups within that, but still one in Jesus. You'll find the ethnon against ethnon is something Satan will use to force the way into a false way of, of religious political unity. Just look at the ethos on back of the EEC. Again, this is not political. The European Parliament is not a parliament in the sense of Westminster. It is largely a consultative body. Consultative. The real decisions are made on back of closed doors by the Council of Ministers and the European Commission. People were really not voted for. And good luck if you want to get rid of them. Now think. Look at Eastern Europe. The multinational states in Eastern Europe have broken up, haven't they? Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, the Soviet Union, they've broken up. Western continental Europe is going into federalism. You understand? Eastern Europe has rejected Communism, socialism. The bureaucracy and the European Parliament is dominated by left center parliamentarians. Government by bureaucracy. Same as the old party bosses in the communist country. The East has gone west. The West has gone <coughs> east. They're going to have a quest to try to peace. If you talk to people, and see, England is still different. By the grace of God, it's still somewhat different. You talk to people on the continent, you talk to people in Germany and in France, what do they say? Look, we've had World War One, World War Two. we can't have any more wars like this, we have to have peace, we have to have a federal Europe, you understand? This is what the Bible was warning about. It does not go back to the Council of the Treaty of Rome. It goes back to the book of Genesis. Rambunction. There's people who see this stuff happening, and every time there's another earthquake, every time there's another war, 
the price of the year 2000, which may be a significant problem with the computers. I'm not denying it. But they think that that means Jesus is coming. The end is not yet. It tells you he's coming sooner, but it also tells you he's not coming immediately. Rambunction is in itself a deception. And the same as you have conspiracy theorists in the world, you have them in the church. They go nuts with the pyramids and all the stuff, all the time and on about it. Now, I do believe in a responsible analysis based on scripture of what's happening in the world politically and economically. You just heard me talking like that. People get obsessed with these conspiracy theories. You notice, oh, no answer. The Illuminati and all this stuff. It's fine to be aware of that stuff, but they become obsessed with it. Be very careful of rambunction. Be very careful of seeing another peace treaty in the Middle East, or another war in the Middle East, another rumor of a war. The famines, the earthquakes, of course these things are going to get more common, and of course they mean Jesus is coming. But they also mean he's not coming today or tomorrow. They are the beginning. Think in terms of obstetrics. Think in terms of maternal labor. Rambunction. It is a deception. Now what happens when you have Christians being taken up by rambunction is this. They get into crazy things. And people get tired of listening. It becomes the boy who cried wolf syndrome. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. That means ethnic groups. You see this in Africa a lot, where the, the wars between the Christian and the Muslims from the same tribe. But sometimes it happens like across tribal lines, sometimes it happens in the same tribe. I want to look at two Greek words. The first is parousia. The return of Christ is called in Greek the parousia. The second word delipsis. <coughs> Delipsis, tribulation. Look at verse 9 again. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. The third deception, and a lot of my friends are not going to like this. Pre-tribulation. If you think you're not going to experience delipsis, you will not be ready for it. What has basically happened is this. People have redefined their eschatological expectations in light of their Western Protestant freedom, forgetting that our freedom was bought by the blood of martyrs. So because Christians haven't suffered in England since the 1700s, because they've never suffered for their faith in America, well, therefore, we don't have to suffer. Before this happens, we'll be taken out of here. Forgetting that the Christians right now in China, in Iran, in Nigeria are suffering terribly. Even in Mexico, they're suffering terribly. 
right now, somehow being white, suburban, middle class, and a Protestant democracy makes you immune from what most Christians in most places at most times in history have experienced. Now tomorrow we'll look at this. The faithful church will never experience the wrath of God. But what they have done is they have confused the wrath of God with the wrath of Satan. When I said that 20 years ago, very few people agreed with me. Now there's people in the state, like Marvin Rosenthal, the Jewish guy, and Bob Van Camp, and there's people writing books about it. We must distinguish between the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God. Look at this I don't have to suffer. If that's your mentality, when it comes, you won't be ready for it. When Jesus said many will fall away and betray one another, when persecution comes, who's going to be the first ones to fall away? People who've been taught this stuff. Now, that's not our main subject tonight. We will look at this, Lord willing, in more depth tomorrow. Great tribulation. Fourth caveat. Look at verse 10. And at that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. This alludes to the apostasia of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that we'll look at tomorrow. False and backslidden brethren. False and backslidden brethren. The ultimate example of this will be the Antichrist, who will in some way imitate one of the brethren up to a point. Turn with me, please, to the Epistle of John. We deal with this in greater depth, of course, on the Antichrist case. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it is the last hour. They went out from among us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they were not of us. That describes Judas's carrier to a T, doesn't it? Again, on the Antichrist tapes, most of you are familiar, the only two people in the world demon-possessed by Satan personally are Judas and the Antichrist. Both of them into money. Both of them have the same title, the son of perdition. Anytime, once more, if you don't know, you see something about Judas in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something about the Antichrist. In either testament. He's the ultimate example. Many will fall away. One aspect of this is unconditional, eternal security. 
it is true that many of these people were never saved to begin with. There are many people I have met who went forward at Billy Graham Crusades and that were never saved. Many people in the charismatic movement were never born again. They have some religious experience. That is true. Apart from me, I never knew you. That's no question. But I'll blot your name out of the book of life. Many will fall away. Fall away from what? I do believe in eternal security. We are eternally secure in Christ. In Christ. I do not believe in an unconditional eternal security. The Bible does not teach it. Now we have a tape dealing with that. One saved, always saved, question mark. But it will lead people into a false sense of security. They will trust other people or backsliders. Remember Judas. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? They didn't know who he was. The things you are seeing now are little hints of what's going to come and ultimately climax with the son of perdition. People won't be able to believe who he is. There'll be many antichrists. In the last few years, I've been shocked out of my thought twice. My people, I never, ever, ever would have expected to go crazy having gone crazy. One was Tony Hickman. And the other was Jonathan Fitting. I was absolutely astounded. Who next? Now, I like both of those guys personally. I pray they come to their senses. It's those guys. Of all people. Yeah. I just don't want to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> Look how many people we thought were solid. That have either gone into things wrong. That they themselves privately know are wrong. Or at least compromised with it. At one time, I had a high view of Jack Hickman. A high view. At one time, I had a high view of Colin Dye. Maybe I was naive, but I had a high view of him at one time. I had a very high view of people like Leighton Ford and Billy Graham. A very high view. Now, I'm not saying they're all men of evil intent, but they are under deception. Beware false brethren and backsliders. Remember, listen to Jude's behavior on Jude. There are as many backsliders in the church as there are outside of it. Fourth warning. Fourth thing to look out for. False brethren and backsliders. Don't betray you. The people listening to this hype now, they'll betray you tomorrow. Guaranteed. Now there are some sincere people taken in by this stuff. But if their hearts are right, God will show them on the year the truth doth come out of them. How many people here went into this kind of stuff? Faith, prosperity, Toronto or something like that. Ecumenism. And they read the Bible and God showed them. How many people? Look around. If your heart is right, God will show you the truth. 
And just going back for a moment to pre-trip. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 24. Then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Well, in theory, the elect shouldn't be here if there's going to be a great tribulation. They have to divert from the plain common sense meaning. We'll talk about that tomorrow. This, this is a big one. It's the downfall of every Christian I've ever met. It's the big danger in my life. And it is the downfall of every church that ever went wrong. Every church that began right and went wrong, it's this one. Look at verse 12. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Loss of first love. It is not primarily talking about unsaved people. They never loved Jesus to begin with. They never cared about him. The church of Ephesus lost their first love. That's where the first church and the first Christians went wrong. That's where you go wrong, that's where I go wrong. We've talked about this a lot of times. When you were first saved, you were naive. I was naive. We thought we could go out and be Peter, James, and John, lay hands on the sick and all this stuff. And focus, focus. We thought we had it all together. No sense. No knowledge. No wisdom. No nothing. But we had our first love. We may have witnessed inappropriately. We may have preached at people instead of to them. <laughs> We may have burned off our friends and loved ones. We may have done a lot of dumb stuff. But we had our first love. Look at the basic parameters of our relationship with Jesus. Where's my prayer life at? Am I witnessing? Well, I'm not all evangelists, but we're all witnesses. There's nobody who can't share their faith one-on-one. Am I in the Word? Is it more important to me to read the Bible or watch a stupid football game than I can video anyway? I like rugby. I don't watch football. <laughs> I got rid of my TV two years ago. I watch anything. But I like rugby better than football. What's the first love? Now look what it says. Because of lawlessness. Understand the spiritual seduction. I had a meeting, Philip Powell and myself, you know Philip Powell, yes, some of you? Mm-hmm. He and I had a meeting with the Elam superintendent in Wellington, New Zealand, and another Pentecostal, the president of the Pentecostal Association of Wellington, last July. Morio <clears throat> Rep in, in Wellington, and Philip and myself were there. These guys said that we were guilty of legalism. And I taught that Bible study, Judge Not. You know that Bible study, Judge Not? And this was legalism. And they didn't like the fact that I had warned publicly about the president of the Elam movement in New Zealand. 
who was promoting Benny Hinn, Toronto, and the rest of it. Well, it's two weeks later, ten days later, that same leader, Ian Dilby, same guy, was found in adultery with several women in the church. The whole time with Toronto, the move of God, and Benny and Ken Holmes, he, you know, if I ever went down into that kind of sin, it would be a one-night stand with some woman somewhere outside the church. <laughs> if, I, if I ever went down, that's what would happen to me. I can understand, and it can happen to people, you understand. But to stand on a platform, week after week after week, and preach God is moving, and God is moving out there that you're fooling around with. So we had this meeting, and I said to them, can you show me what I said that was wrong? So the Bible, show me. No. But it's legalism. I said, can you show me, Pastor Knox, his name is Mike Knox, what legalism is? Show me in the Bible what legalism is. This is the superintendent. That man could not show me what legalism was. His only definition of legalism was sticking to the scripture, which he equated with being under the law. This is a big, big problem. <coughs> Understand what this means. There's two groups of people, three, the two main groups of people here at Swanick this weekend. Us and some Seventh-day Adventists. I'm an evangelist to Jews. I have an Israeli family. For my testimony, I don't eat pork. For the rest of you, I said, don't have to eat. <laughs> That's culture. That's testimony. These other guys, God bless them, are living under two covenants, aren't they? That's legal. We have two kinds of legalism. The first kind of legalism is hard legalism. That means trying to be justified by works. It begins, of course, with the Jewish people trying to be saved by the law which without a temple they can't keep anyway, so it becomes a misvote. That's the classic example, but it's not the only one. It's the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on doors, it's Catholics going to Mass and Novena, it's Muslims doing the Hajj, it's the Mormons with their bits. Any kind of works-based righteousness, trying to earn salvation <coughs> by works or religious observance, that is hard legalism, trying to be saved by keeping rules. That's the first kind of legalism the Bible teaches. The second kind of legalism is soft legalism. That is known as nomianism. What is nomianism? The Greek word for law, nomos. That says, well, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, and 
Well, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but we have to keep these in addition to keep our salvation. That is nomianism. Both of those things are quite wrong. And there are even saved evangelical believers who get caught up in it. Turn with me, please, to Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with the Messiah to the elementary principles of the world, co-death with Christ, why is it you are living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of God? Amen. These are matters which have to be sure. The appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. <clears throat> the clothed brethren can make the women wear the scarf but not against that they can rip it. The safe Christians get into this. That is known as no meaning. No meaning. Now, if God doesn't want you to do a certain thing, that's your walk with the Lord, that's fine, but when you put it in other people, that's no meaning. Those are the two kinds of legalism that we are to avoid. But in avoiding this, what these people are teaching is lawlessness. Greek anti no meanism. Without any law. I was to see the first Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 21. To those who are outlaw, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Christians are not people who are free of law. We come out from under the law of sin and death. The law of Moses that God gave to the Jews teaches us about our sinful nature, that we're fallen, that we can't save ourselves. That's its purpose, to show we can't save ourselves. And it was, of course, exemplified through the experience of Israel and the Jews. Again, same as those seven-day adventures, you be careful of this philosophy, that's how you see it, making Gentiles second fastest. Keep away from those people. They're lifting up Jewishness instead of Jesus. This does not honor the Lord, and it's not what not not what Jesus came to do. You give those guys some bricks and mortar, they'll rebuild the wall of partition, you chew his eyes to break down. Mm-hmm. Putting Gentiles under the law? Mm-hmm. Watch out for those messianic extremists. They're just as literally as the seven day adventists. Mm-hmm. And now my own family is a burden, you understand? That's a personal choice, not something to put on other people. Antinomianism. If you were to move from Great Britain to the United States, you'd go out from British law under American law. If you were to move from America back to Britain, you'd leave American law and come under British law. When we get saved, we go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You go out from one law under another. But suddenly we don't have law, we're under the law of Christ. 
the New Testament has specific commandments and dictates for believers. There's as many commandments in the New Testament as there are in the Old, at least. Including some that reiterate some of the Old. Some, not many. Antinomianism is lawlessness. It will cause people's love to grow cold. As it worked out, the only definition that this particular person, Philip, Powell, myself, have the meeting with, his only way that this guy was able to define legalism was sticking to the Bible. That's what he called legalism was. Lawlessness. Look at Second Corinthians chapter three. Verse 6. The law for adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit giveth life. Oh, they love that. You're sticking to the letter. That kills. We have the spirit. We have life. Hallelujah. And they go nuts. Look at the context. If the ministry of death and letters engraved on stone, if you heard on newspaper on John 8, the reason that the Jews had to stone people to death was because it represented the law. You understand? The law still was condemned. That was the Midrash of the Covenant. <coughs> the letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of the face fading as it was. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? The letter killeth in its context, what that means is the law of Moses shows the Jews and shows all of mankind that were fallen, that were condemned because of our sins, that we need a Savior to save us. We need somebody to justify us, to do for us we could not do for ourselves. That's what the letter kill us, the Spirit of the life, give us life, means in the context. Now, if you listen to the New Beginning tapes, we explain this even further. How the rabbis appealed were, the Sanhedrin were, were Playing games with the letter, while Jesus always appealed to the spirit of the text, but some that takes the last year's conference, we went to this in greater depth. Tapes are available. We're not here. But listen, that's what it means. Lawlessness is coming into the church. Through the spirit of self-control. Lawlessness will lead people's love to grow cold. How many people have challenged people on what their doctrines are and about the biblical basis of their practice and they got angry and responded almost viciously? How many experienced that? What's happened to those people? Their love has grown cold. You understand? Lawlessness will turn people's love cold. We lose our first love as a general tendency. That's a general problem we all have. It happens with the Ephesians. It happens, it happens with every church down to the centuries. And it's something that every Christian will battle with in their personal life. But in the last days, something else happens. Antinomianism. A denigration of the word of God. How many people saw the I shot the sheriff video with the scout speaker? Before that. 
took on the thing, the video, I shot the sheriff, and he's like drunk, and he's hanging on to the platform, he's a scout, wonderful. And he's, and he's talking, and he goes, the sheriff is legalism. And he begins mocking the Bible. Mocking it. When I was in Toronto, I went to that, that, that institution I had over there by the airport, and then he just <laughs> and this is what he did. I am the way! <laughs> the truth! <laughs> and I saw people, I'm telling you, I saw people in that place that were demons of death. Not oppressed, these people were demons of death. I see manifestations the same as I saw in the jungle in Indonesia with the demoniac going down the street. I saw the same manifestations. I'm convinced there were people in that place with demons of death. The word of God was being denigrated. Lawlessness. will turn people's love old. Because of antinomianism, because of lawlessness, most people's love will grow old. Not some, most. It is very, very, very frightening. The actual Greek is the love of many. I can't say it's necessarily a majority, but it has that connotation that can be a lot of people. We all battle against losing our first love. Every Christian, every church, every marriage, you battle against the loss of your first love. But in the last days, this becomes catalyzed by antinomianism, lawlessness, a denigration, denigration of the word of God. Friends, let's look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for witness to all the nations, then the end of the We've heard about rambunction. Now it is a bunker mentality. One of the ways the Dominionists, the Triumphalists, the Kingdom Now guys, have been able to peddle their sinister wares is this. You're defeated. You just want to hide in a bunker, wait for Jesus to come and rescue you. We want to go to war. A Dominionist attitude is unscriptural and a bunker mentality. Jesus doesn't say when you see this stuff happening to hide in a bunker. He doesn't say to become a survivalist in New Mexico in the desert or something. The Christian's doing that. He says, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Barry Smith is a nice man. But he's a second rate Bible teacher. What a first advantage. You know why God uses Barry? You know what Barry Smith, the secret of his success was? How is he? He's not a great Bible accomplishment. A lot of people will say he's a great, great son of earth. You know why? 
What's the Barry Smith and how does he do that God blesses it and so many people get saved? They preach the gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is seen most clearly in Matthew. Jesus speaks of hell three times as much as he does heaven. He tends the kingdom at that hand. We scare people into the kingdom. <laughs> you ever see the David Wilkerson film? The Rose of Armageddon? When I was a hippie, Jesus speaks. We used to show that. We used to show it to other kids at schools, university, and that. They all be smoking grass, slapping ass, or whatever. They used to speak that they used to scare the bridges off. They'd be terrified. If you run up to get saved, they'd be scared. People are trying anything and everything to make churches go. Most of it predicated upon secular management philosophies and secular marketing philosophies to which the Word of God has become subordinate. If you have any books by Peter Wagner, put a match to it. If you have any books by Bill Hybel, put two matches to it. <laughs> These programs don't work, do they? The sin challenge working? I'm not saying the, the minus the plus works, no. I'm not saying these people are badly motivated. Peter Wagner's thoughts here. I'm not saying they're badly motivated. <laughs> but it doesn't work. Yeah. This whole full of seminary church, it just doesn't work. In a post-Christian society, in a neo-pagan society, I've seen the worst. I was talking to the scouts before. I, I was, every door in a council estate called Steve in Liverpool. It's the closest thing to hell on earth. <laughs> Third generation unemployment. Two out of three kids born out of wedlock. People having babies with their own half-sisters. Really sick stuff. Young women with five kids from three different yobos. Don't know who the old man is. It's unbelievable. Third generation unemployment, destitute, hopeless, hopeless. How do you meet people like that? Look at the spirit of apathy over this nation. How do you reach an apathetic society that doesn't want to know? What do you do? In the name of heaven, when all else fails, read the direction. <laughs> what Barry Smith does is not brilliant. What Hal Lindsey does is not brilliant. They just read the book and did what Jesus said to do. Learn how to use eschatology. Learn how to use world events to introduce people to the fact that Jesus is coming and they need to repent and get saved. There'll be fear and anxiety among the nations, none of them knowing the way out. This stuff you see in Asia, the whole world's going to be like that. And worse eventually. America cannot do what it did after the Second World War. America can no longer rebuild the rest of the world in cash. No way. Once America goes, it all goes. That's, that's the end of it. The last superpower, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. The Tanya once ruled the waves. That doesn't rule anything. Forget about it. 
fear and anxiety among the nations, none of them knowing the way out. We have to learn how to use this to show people this is what the Bible says. That'll work. Why is David Wilkerson's church in New York grown so big in the middle of that terrible place, Times Square? Why? People say at every meeting. And I mean drug addicts, prostitutes, kids, homosexuals. Why? Why because he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom? No, he's doing. He's doing what Jesus said to do. A bunker mentality is a deception. Jesus never said to get in a bunker. I've had people say to me, friends of mine, who are in discernment type ministries, and they would say, look, we've won them, now it's just hopeless, it's all lost, the water will be coming soon, and that's it, we're going to get in, we're going to close the lid and just wait. <laughs> There's a lot of people like that. Now, a time will come when that will happen. A time, there are times in church history when all you can do is strengthen the things that remain. You deal with them in the sudden church history. But the end is not yet. Beware of a bunker mentality. It's not what Jesus wanted. The devil can get Christians paranoid or into a bunker mentality, he will love it. See, he, he'll use this stuff. When you get people obsessed with the, with the, with the conspiracy theories, and they're more worried about that and the Illuminati than they are seeing the person across the street getting saved, the devil loves that. That's just as efficient as ignoring all of that. Never see if Lewis was right. Devil's two favorite tricks, getting people to ignore them or getting people to be obsessed by them. Mm-hmm. It's freaks and all this stuff. Therefore, when you see a shikutsa meshomem, we deal with this on the Antichrist case, the abomination of desolation, spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader under this is a big one. We've already seen a lack of discernment, but here it is lack of biblical knowledge and understanding. People who do not know the Word of God and do not know its proper interpretation. I'm not talking about minor points of doctrine, but I am talking about the essential truths and the essential truths about His return. People who do not have understanding of the Word of God will be deceived. No, take that back. They are already deceived. When's the last time you heard a Bible study on the abomination of desolation? <laughs> Maybe on a book about paper, one of my tapes. 
You understand? We're getting closer to this stuff happening, and there's less and less interest in it. At a time it's most crucial. They don't know. They don't even see a need to know. That's legalism. Look at Matthew 25. We deal with Matthew 25 on the Song of Solomon case. Verse 8, and the foolish virgin said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Remember Samuel, the lamp had not yet completely gone out? Proverbs 31, the prudent wife, the lamp does not go out at night. Remember the, you know the old Pentecostal hymn? Give me oil in my lamp. Give me oil. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, I hear brethren saying it, I hear Baptists saying it, I hear my fellow Pentecostals saying it. The diminished interest in the word of God. When I was, you know, was first saved, there was so much more interest. I talked to the old time Pentecostals, even in my own, my own church. Their heroes used to be missionaries. People like William Burton would come from Africa and all the kids would want to hear about this missionary going into the Congo with the headhunters and all the church. And I hear how many people being saved and they were the heroes. Today it's some con man with big rings and a fancy suit and a bouffant hair who's driving up in a limo. That's the hero today. Somebody behaving like a nitwit, kneel down and touch my yellow coat for a double force of the anointing. That's the hero. That's what they looked up. A nitwit. Look how things have gone down. Look how things have gone down. The Presbyterians say it, the Baptists say it, every church I know says that. The illumination of the Holy Spirit. Eight Hazayat. Seven Zayat. No fuel in the lamp. Thy word is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You can have the lamp, but there's no oil in it. The time will come when they'll realize they need it. But there'll be no time for them to get it. Give us some of your oil. We don't have any time to give you oil. Instead of rolling on the floor like a pelican, you should have been learning the word of God. <laughs> These people are not going to be ready for Jesus to come back. A lack of understanding of the scriptures is something to be aware of. I can't say it enough. At a time when we should be getting deeper and deeper into the word of God, we're getting further and further away. And there won't be much time. The time that tells us. <clears throat> there won't be any time for these people to get it. It'll be too late. They'll be taken right in. Put it here this way. If somebody couldn't swim a length in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, how would they do in the English Channel? 
got to be a pretty good swimmer from the top. A lot of people do it. A lot of people do it. The average person who knows how to swim probably could do it if they trained for it. So I'm told. If you train for it. There's not many people who couldn't do it. If they had a purpose and an intent to do it, anybody knows how to swim, if they trained, they could do it. He's the younger person. He's middle-aged person. They trained and wanted to do it. But if you can't go into a swimming pool and do a event, well, it's something like that. Right now, if people cannot see through obvious, obvious con things, if they can't see through alpha and all this, what is going to happen when this stuff comes? If you cannot discern on the basis of what's written in the Word of God that alpha is not scriptural, what is going to happen when this comes? It's frightening. They will be deceived. A lack of biblical knowledge. They won't know what the abomination really is. You know, it's so frightening. Just look in the natural realm. It wouldn't take too long for implanted silicone chips. They already have them in the ears of cattle. They go into smart cards. Eventually, those things will be put on somebody's wrist or whatever. How they're going to do it. And it'll be a joke. Oh, the mark of the beast. It'll be a joke. Right? Unsafe people will think you're nuts. Unsafe people think you're crazy for making a beast and refusing it. Look, it can't be stolen. What do you do? You have preachers now saying, wait a minute, Matthew 24, Revelation, that was in the early church. We can take the mark of the beast. There's Christians teaching that. I have, we had an audio chronic <coughs> engineer from the Dickens game. Best high fidelity equipment. And we did an isolation of the vocal track from the crowning and tongues video. Rodney Brown kind of told them. I don't know what else to make of it. We were all sitting there, isolated the track with the earphone. Then it's, then it's bird come on up here, taking the mark of the beast. I don't know what else he could have been saying. Nobody else did. He listened, let people listen independent of each other. What did he say? It won't matter. Christians will go on with this stuff. You understand? What are they going to do? If you can't see through this, you can't swim a length of the swimming pool. Don't go in the channel. Don't jump off the white cliffs of Dolby. You'll never see that. <laughs> A lack of biblical knowledge and understanding. Beware of it. Perhaps the ultimate understanding of this is the power of the fig tree. Has anyone here not heard our teaching on the power of the fig tree? Is there, who, who's not heard it? Who, who has heard our teaching on the fig tree? What do we really mean? Only a few. Oh, I may put your hand up for they just see. That's important. <laughs> they might have to do that. There's only five or six months to do that. I don't want to repeat stuff we've already done, but it's stuff that people don't know that I'll do it. Let's look. Verse 17. <laughs> 
Let him who is on the housetop not go to get the things that are in his house. But him who is in the field not go back with his cloak. Now there's a deeper meaning in that stuff. We'll look at it tomorrow. When we talk about types of the rapture. About the cloak, the mantle, the far read. It is on the uh, future history of the church. But the point we're looking at now is attachment to the The things we own, do we own them, or do they own us? Last night, she looked back. Look at Luke 21:34. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. People get too far down, too focused on their day-to-day lives, their careers, their marriage, their business, their work. There are some people who are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. The other extreme, of course, is we'll look at those who are really attached to the world. Mm-hmm. Woe to those who dwell on the earth. We talked about this the other day in, in Kinley. Revelation, Lord of the dwell on the earth, and Jesus wrote the, the name down. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake thee, when we put this in phrase, those who turn away on the earth will be written down because they've forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Jesus, living water on the earth. Woe to those who dwell on the earth. And it seems it says we are already by faith co-seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Are we a heaven dweller or an earth dweller? Those whose focus is on the things to come, rather than things that perish. Those are heaven dwellers. We're co-seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which doesn't it mean. We're co-reigning by faith with Him. Those are heaven dwellers. Woe to those who dwell on the earth. Christians were attached to the world. Look at the Christian town in Europe. Does it look just like the world? Glory and everything, only it's even more glory. So what you have is the The world has higher faith. That's <laughs> actually <laughs> the world. The world wouldn't go quite that low. There's something even different. The world has better taste. Some woman pushing retirement age, trying to look like a 19-year-old couple on a street corner in Los Angeles. The world wouldn't go that low. Covetous or so-called brother. You understand covetous? Not being content. If God is meeting our fundamental mm-hmm. needs, we should be content. Mm-hmm. Second Timothy, if you have food and clothes, you should be content. Mm-hmm. You 
for the very fact that you live in the very fact that you are in this room right now, you are better off than at least two thirds, probably close to the three quarters of the people in the world. Isn't a middle class lifestyle good enough? Attachment to the world. Lots of life how to look back. <laughs> you can't leave it. You don't own it, don't you? I know I've been there. When the Lord called me to the mission field, my money, my and hold on me. I had experienced the breaking of the Lord in my life with my mind. I made a lot of money when I was a kid. But it's become a millionaire, I guess. So I wait for it anyway. Money had a hold on me. They always point out if you're flat broke, breaking yourself rich, you're a co heir with Christ. If you're rich, breaking yourself flat broke. Verse 24, he comes back again. False Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead if possible even the elect. We've talked about this a lot, I don't want to go into it. But it is not simply false Christ and false prophets. We have the case explaining it. But false Christ and false prophets who are using signs and the same vanilla oath. Again, I say this as a Pentecostal. I believe in signs and wonders. These signs follow. Jesus never allows signs to be the center of focus of his ministry. Never healing, never nothing. His focus was repentance. He refused to put on a show. And Herod gave him the opportunity to save his life that he did. We've talked about this before. I don't want to go into it at length, but 2 Timothy 3, the deceivers in the last days will come in the character of Jonathan Jambres, Pharaoh's magicians. What did they do? Counterfeit miracles. Look at Revelation 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven of the earth, to the earth in the presence of men. False anointings, false prophets, a wicked and adulterous generation seek a sign. You see people flocking into stadiums to see little Benny. Jesus called that wickedness and adultery. Jesus called that wickedness and adultery. Now again, I believe he gets to the spirit, signs and wonders understood and practiced biblically. I've never believed anything of it. The signs and wonders movement. The late John one with the vineyard. Power of evangelism, this whole thing was based on. 
course, because of those that agree with scripture, we have to get into his paradigm shift. New age philosophy, thinking differently instead of thinking biblically. Bible becomes a subjective book instead of objective truth, it becomes subjective truth. The objective is replaced by the subjective. That's the paradigm shift. The new age is to make your own reality. But the Vedic movement just Christianized that. So you can explain the scriptures away, everything you do is based on theory. All Christ, all prophets, signs and wonders, movement. Verse 26 of Matthew 24. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go forth. But behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. The theological term over-realized eschatology. This idea that Jesus comes back to the church through the latter day reign before he comes back for it. You understand? The idea that the latter day reign, the national stuff, he returns to the church before he returns for it. The latter day reign is a perversion of a biblical truth. Go back to William Branham, a man who was absolutely out of his pocket. The video of Branham saying that the Trinity was of the devil, thus saith the Lord. He was the angel of Revelation 7. Now, in his day, men like him were renounced by the Pentecostal leadership in the United States and the United Kingdom. They were renounced publicly. Now, this <coughs> seen as champions, heroes. That whole manifest son, man child stuff, that was totally rejected by the Assemblies of God in the 40s and 50s. That's heretical. Now, it's all the talk. In Australia now, the Assemblies of God are getting rid of their premillennial statement of faith. Over-realized eschatology kingdom now, dominion, triumphalism. You are God. Same as the New Age. The return of Christ will happen some way other than the way he left. That's what they're saying. Remember, this is warning believers. I'm not talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons in any primary sense, only a secondary sense. It's warning us. People will come among us for this. <laughs> kingdom is now. The kingdom's within us, it's within our hearts by faith. What's not in the world? Dominionism, triumphalism, kingdom now, we're going to conquer the whole world for Christ before he comes. As a special. Verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Deception 11. Caveat 11. Beware of 11. Warning 11. Mark this carefully.
all together, like Barry Smith. <laughs> hey, Betty. <laughs> Watch out, the boy who cried wolf. There were fundamentalists who said Jesus was coming at Yom Kippur in 1987. Fundamentalist Baptists, I saw them in Speaker's Corner. They stood up and told the Muslims in Speaker's Corner, Hyde Park, London, Jesus will be here in 48 hours. When he didn't show up, they did the same thing the next year. We were off by a year. They're out there at Yom Kippur, told the Muslims will be gone within the next 14 hours. <clears throat> then in this country was Tony McCormick propagating that Ray Bullington book from America. Jesus was going to come in Israel Independence Day, May of 1997, remember? Anyone else come to speak in this? They make themselves look like clowns, don't they? Not only that, in the eyes of unsafe people, they make us all look like Remember what Jesus said in Luke? When the crock commits, get this straight. I've said it a number of times. We are not waiting for Jesus. He is waiting for us. Song of Solomon, do not awaken my love until she pleases. The bridegroom wants a bride who's dressed and ready. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back. He's waiting for a bride to get ready. When the crop permits, it was a variable. Now, in eternity in heaven with the Father, he may know it now. But he didn't know it then. It didn't depend on him. Ultimately, God is sovereign, but he puts the ball in our court. That's why Peter talks about hastening his coming. We can actually hasten his coming. Hurry up, lady, get dressed. You want to get married or don't you? <laughs> watch out for date setting. And watch out for date setting. And again, some of the people, I knew a guy, he took his dog and he sat in a greenhouse near Manchester. And May, whatever it was, the last year, and he went in his greenhouse in his garden because he wanted to see Jesus come. And he just had to go all day with the dog. He was stoned for real. <laughs> nice guy. But he was out for lunch. <laughs> Somebody, I'm telling you, the, the lights are on, but there ain't nobody. Dave said it. Watch out for it. Don't ever get trapped in it. Don't believe these books. We know by the signs. We know what can know what part of the tribulation is coming. But the date. Twelve caveat. Let's look at one in Luke. Luke twenty one twenty four. <clears throat> second half of the verse Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are completed 
Romans 11. Stand on Ethnon, the same key Greek words. On the Romans 11 page, we deal with it. Verse 25, I do not want you, my brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Caveat 12. Replacement theology. The notion that the church is Israel to the negation of God's eternal covenant with the Jews that God has no prophetic destiny for the nation Israel and the Jewish people. Replacement theology is a false doctrine. It is a deception. And it is much more sinister than meets the eye. It is not simply what it means saying that we're the new Jews or we're the new Israel or whatever. When Israel goes out the window, so does your eschatology. These events in the Middle East fulfill prophecy. They absolutely fulfill prophecy. <laughs> Things happening today in that area of the world fulfill prophecy. The Old Testament can make no sense. Ezekiel, Zechariah can make no sense if God is finished with the Jews. More than that, if he can break his covenant with the Jews, why can't he break his covenant with the church? Except one thing. He never made a covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The new covenant was never made with the church. Gentiles are grafted into God's covenant with the Jews by faith from the sins of Abraham. Replacement theology. Again, these world events are happening. People scattered all over the world, coming back to that country in unbelief, face the time of Jacob's trouble, the Great Tribulation. In the generation whose parents and grandparents went to Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and these terrible places, the very generation the concentration camps, their children and grandchildren were turning back to Jesus in the tenth of thousands. My wife's parents will be here. The Holocaust survivors will be joining us soon. And their grandchildren tell us about the despise of Israel. So no one will deliver what happened. Replacement theology is a false doctrine. Not just arrogance against the natural branches. It's much deeper than that. If Israel goes out the window, so does your eschatology. So does your understanding of the return of Jesus. It is a deception. Now, of course, we've got people over the top about Israel. We've got other nuts. I'm very sorry to say there was a man who I warned and was warned, and he signed an agreement never to evangelize the Jews. And that same hand that he just that he signed that thing with was surgically removed. Well, there are other people like that. They, they go the other extreme. They go crazy about Israel, but they won't give the Jews the gospel. It's not what the fault of my heart's desire is they might be saved with no preacher. How shall they hear? The extreme Christian Zionists are the other looming. They go over the top about Israel. It's 
replacement theology is false. <laughs> Matthew 25. <clears throat> Verse 11. And many other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered and said, I don't know you. Jeremiah 8.20 Harvest is past. Summer is ended. We are not saved. <laughs> so, Solomon, Chapter 5. The sleep is like the virgins. Verse 2. Chapter from the Song of Solomon 8. Verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved is turned away and gone. My heart went to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I didn't find him. I called him, he didn't answer. The watchmen who make the rounds found me. They struck me and wounded me. What happens to those who aren't ready when the bridegroom comes? That's what was being read in the synagogues at Passover when Jesus spoke to Matthew 25, we have to take. Isaiah 13. Total rapture. That every so-called saved Christian, that everyone who has been born again, Alive on the earth when Jesus comes will be taken. Many will fall away. Many will not be ready. Many will not have oil in their lamps. But you can have it. He's coming for a spotless bride. Not a tramp. Then to verse 49. Matthew 24, 49. Shall begin to beat fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day he does not expect. How would it be? This is talking about now leaders, isn't it? Those who should be giving the proper food at the proper time, who should be teaching God's people the truth about the return of Jesus. But what are they doing? <clears throat> Spiritual drunkards. Turn to First Peter. The day of Pentecost, Peter says, these men are not drunk with wine, and the people hear the mighty deeds of God. Not drunk in gibberish. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action. No drunken mentality. Keep drunken spirit. Keep sober in spirit, says the St. Peter from the day of Pentecost in his commitment. Be sober in spirit. First Peter, chapter 4, verse 7. The end, eschatological. Last days, the end of all things is at hand. 
therefore be of sound judgment and drunken spirit, sober spirit. First Peter five eight. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Same as Jesus and Luke. Be alert. Be sober. The devil prowls like a lion, <coughs> seeing someone he can devour. Holy Trinity prompted, reading comments is good. First Timothy chapter four. Men will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire, but you be sober. Joel chapter 1, verse 5. Awake, ye drunkards, get sober. Fourteen caveat. Spiritual drunkards. Like a prophecy. Somebody came to these people, <coughs> lied to them, speaking falsehood, and actually lied, speaking of wine and liquor. He'd be the one that does it. Getting late. Turn with me, please, Second Peter. We'll come back to this tomorrow. Second Peter three, verse four. Saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation. Look at that verse. One Peter is writing to Jewish Christians. The term on the line fathers, in Hebrew, avot. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc. Since the fathers fell asleep, Whenever the New Testament speaks of the death of a believer, it is sleep. The death of unsaved people is death. Ali Tatakumi, she's asleep, little girl, get up. Lazarus is asleep. Paul says, don't be overly grieved for the brethren who sleep. These are people dead? No, the people fall asleep. <laughs> you understand what he's saying? It's going to be Christians making fun of you if you believe in the rapture. It is going to be Christians making fun of you when you talk about the last days. It is going to be Christians making fun of you when you talk about the return of Jesus from a biblical perspective. My flesh says, he who laughs, laughs, laughs best. That's the flesh. The new creation says, my God, these people are my brothers and sisters. God bless you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.